He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with Rigby. Yeah, it's Oscar season. Still playing catch up on a lot of the, the Best Picture nominees. I did see Tar, and I that was my favorite movie I've seen this year so far. I really liked it. Kate Blanchett is incredible, and the performances were top-notch. So if you have Peacock, go check it out. I recommend it. Nice. Not a ton on my end, although what time I did have to prepare for this episode, I have a very similar feeling to Kyle had during the Michael Sheen episode, where Edgar Ramirez every time I turned around, was impressing me more. I really enjoyed getting ready for this episode, so I'm excited to hear your guys' thoughts as well. Teaser. Teaser. little teaser profile there. I like that. Hey, that's Radio 101, baby. If you like him as much as I like Michael Sheen, then you're going to give him a pretty <laughs> high score, because I love Sheen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. I was just fascinated like you were. We'll, we'll see <laughs> okay. how it plays out. James. Glad to finally be back with you boys. Sorry I missed last episode. Oh, who's the new guy? Yeah. I was uh, <laughs> hosting my family, and uh, apparently the night before they're about to leave, I'm not allowed to record for a couple hours. So uh, I, I knew I had to bail in advance, but I'm happy I'm back. Pumped to talk with you guys. Was your sister there? She was, actually. The whole fam. Everyone visited. You just brought her on. Yeah, you could have the whole family on. That would have been a blast. I know. That, I did mention that, but uh, it didn't go over well. Aubrey. Uh, this has been a busy time. It's been it's been wild. Just lost a district championship. So I'm in the brightest and happiest of moods right now. Had a little light surgery a week or two ago to get a cyst removed. So I've got stitches in my back. That's fun. Can't golf. Um, still teaching kids how to read in Florida. So <laughs> that's what we're doing day to day down here. With what books? Are you allowed to teach them? They're removing all of them from the library. <laughs> I mean, barely. I had to get permission slips so they could read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. For real? Yep. Had to get permission slips to get them to do that. So that's where we're at. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't like how they paint muggles in that book, you know? <laughs> I don't know if I'd approve my kid reading that. So much has been going on since last time we talked. So, yeah, Sundance happened. So that was big. I decided to drive my shoulder into the ice and crack part of my clavicle. So that's been fun the last week. Um, but the most important part, and I know Case will appreciate this, last week I was able to see go see a live viewing of The Room. Uh, and I've seen it many times. But this time, Greg Sestero was in town. If you know... If you know me, you know that Greg followed me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I met him. We talked about how we went to Fairmount, Indiana, and went to James Dean's grave site. And after the showing, he and I were DMing on Twitter. So we are besties right now, and uh, I don't know. I'll let you guys know whenever he wants to get on the pod. Like a dream come true, buddy. How big of a fanboy did you come off as? I was pretty subtle. Because I just went up to him and I, like other people were getting signatures and stuff. And I was just like, hey, man, I just want to shake your hand, get a photo and just chat. And I asked him how his trip was to Indianapolis. And he was like, yeah, man, chance to go see James Dean, blah, blah, blah. So I was pretty calm. You didn't drop any obscure movie references? 
No, no, not on him. Oh, man. That's really cool, dude. But someone who's even cooler than Greg Sestero, we're, we're excited to welcome back Jeff Reed to the pod. Jeff was previously a film reviewer. Now he's the co-host of the From First to Last podcast. FFTL focuses on a director's filmography in order of their release. Uh, some previous directors they've covered have been Robert Zemeckis, Zack Snyder, Catherine Bigelow, and Michael Mann. Um, and he was most recently with us for the Tooch episode. Was supposed to be here for Tyler Perry. Life pulled him away. But we're excited to get our friend from across the pond back to the podcast. Jeff, how are we doing? Hey, hey, fellas. Hey, buddy. It's good to have you back finally, man. <laughs> I know. It's been too long. Too long between drinks, as they say over here. But uh, I'm back. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'm back ready to talk all things Edgar Ramirez. Um, I don't know about you guys, but like I love Edgar Ramirez. When he pops up in a movie, you're just like, heck yes. He's a handsome devil. Beautiful hair. Oh, yeah, there's no one, and that jawline, watch out. He could, like, you know, break <laughs> heads with that jaw. You guys have been talking some great actors, though, lately, like Michael Sheen. Holy moly, what a filmography to work through. Love it. I agree. He's in Australia at the moment um, playing uh, Armadeus in the stage play. Fuck it. I love that song. He's a phenom. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, what are you what are you guys working through right now in the pod? Yeah, yeah, we're partway through our Tim Burton season. So one of those seasons that um, has been a longer journey than I think we thought it was going to be. But um, we drop our Mars Attacks episode this week, uh, which we had an absolute blast talking Mars Attacks. It felt like an itchy and scratchy cartoon with aliens and uh, just the the most fun I've had in a long time in a movie. I haven't seen Mars Attack in years. I'd love to rewatch that because it's oh. it's just goofy as hell. Love Mars Attacks. Quick, quick Munson's trivia. Which Munson is in Mars? Mm. We've talked about it once. Mm. Leonardo DiCaprio? No. <laughs> I feel like it's like Seth Green or something like that. I don't know. That's a good question, Kyle. Allison Janney. Nope. Oh, that's a good guess. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Number one. The answer, Christina Applegate. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, wow. She was young in it, too. Only in there for about three minutes. Okay. Well, Jeff, we're glad to have you back. We're recording on a yes. late on a Friday night, which is weird for us, but it's exciting. If I get a beer in hand, we're ready to go. I do have some pressure to put on Jeff. You know, we ranked pretty high in Saudi Arabia for a while. <laughs> So if we can rank high in Saudi Arabia without somebody from Saudi Arabia, I expect our Australian rankings to be through the roof. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We've been ranking really high in Turkey of late, and uh, oh. <laughs> you, you start to wonder, you know, maybe they're in for two idiot Australians in, in Turkey. They're like, what's well, going to be the polar opposite of what we get right now? Two idiot Australians talking about the <laughs> February 16th, birthdays, Rigby, what do we got? First up, we're going to start with a fellow Munson, Mr. Mahershala Ali. Ooh. He, we covered him back in 2020, I believe. Two-time Oscar winner. And I think he had a pretty high score for a while. I think he's still in our top 10, I would say. Prince Ali. It's going to be tricky. Is that right? I don't crack. Mahershala is sitting at 16th place. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's still pretty high comparatively. Any guesses on how old Mr. Ali's turning? Are we going with his actual age or what he looks like? <laughs> he looks 25. He does look good. I will say that. It's going to be 48. Okay. I think Prince Ali is 41. I'll go 47. I reckon late 40s. 40, late 40s for sure. He's got that uh, 
that anti-aging aging Benjamin Button thing going on. A number, though. 46. So, Craig, you are the winner. He's actually turning 49. He looks amazing for 49. Yeah, and he's his career is he's who knows where he's going from here because he's already won two Oscars and was in a Best Picture winner from 2018, Green Book. All right, next up, we got Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, she's in some show called WandaVision. I don't know what that is. As you guys know, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, so uh, that's probably where she is the biggest name from. Uh, she was also she was in Wind River, which I thought was a really good movie ah. from 2017 with Jeremy Renner. So good. Lizzie Olsen is one of the most beautiful humans on the planet. Ooh. I second that. I would agree with that. Thank goodness she rose above her family connections. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go I'm gonna go like 35. Pretty good game. Shaky confidence. <laughs> I think she's a little younger than that, though. I think she's I think she's 33. Give me 28. Okay. Oh, I hope Casey's all right. You know, you, it's that thing where you're not meant to ask a lady her age. <laughs> yeah. So yep. I, feel, I feel like really rude doing this. But actually, I wouldn't be surprised if she was a bit older because the Marvel actors genu- generally, they're going for someone that's a bit more older and more mature because I think they want to avoid having any loose units in the press. So uh, I'm going to say 38. Kyle, you win. She's turning 34. Angel. So she's turning 34, which I was amazed by that. I thought she was older than that. She's already put together a really good career at 34. Yeah. Ice-T, famous rapper, but probably known most today from his time on Law & Order. His character in that show is my favorite just because he's a no-nonsense asshole. Ice-T got some records. Yeah. Yes. I refuse to associate (laughs) Ice-T with anything but the player haters ball. That's it. That's the only (laughs) thing I associate him with. Uh, Craig, the next motherfucker say something, gonna get shot. (laughs) Yeah, so any guesses on, on Mr. Ice-T? I mean, 58. I'm going higher. Okay, I'm going to go older, 63. I'm going 66. Whoa. I'm just going to flat 60. Kyle, you win again. Two for three. He's turning 64. Damn. Wow. Happy birthday to Mahershala, Elizabeth, and my man Ice-T. Five actors we threw under the wheel for this episode 79. We had Chris Evans, Queen Latifah, Gene Hackman, Julianne Nicholson, but it doesn't matter. None of them were picked. The wheel selected Edgar Ramirez. And he Edgar's only got 42 credits on his resume, so he hasn't been in the game too long. Pretty digestible, and I think we hit quite a few of his credits along the way. Um, so before we dig into that, we'll see if James can stump us with some trivia, Fast and Furious style. Yeah, so I'm going to read off three facts here. Two of them are going to be true about Edgar Ramirez, and one of them is going to be true about... Uh, one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchises. So the guys here are going to have to guess which one is not true about our man of the hour. Fact number one, there's a goodwill ambassador for the UN's International Fund for Agricultural Development called IFAD, uh, which calls for more investment uh, into helping feed the world's poor. Um, Fact number two is fluent in five languages English, German, French, Italian, and Spanish, the latter of which he actually taught to Jennifer Lawrence for a role. Fact number three, initially passed on acting in a movie while in college to focus on his career in politics after attending Harvard's International Model UN. Come on. All right, I've got a little, before people start guessing, I've got a nugget. Fast 10, the tra- like the trailer and all the promo, I saw tickets went on sale today. So keep in mind, that movie is now available with actors for James to pick from. So there's I don't know if he did it, but he's usually pretty good about current events. So there's a good chance he picked 
James, I want to compliment you. I normally can find a Fast and Furious joke out of one of them, but I am so baffled at how any of them could be a Fast and Furious star. Well done this week. <laughs> don't think Ty- you don't think Tyrese did model you in? <laughs> <laughs> I think one is the lie, and I think that is our girl Charlize. Cypher? Ooh, not a bad guess. I think she actually is pretty pretty involved in humanitarian efforts james telling you you're wrong preemptively but good guess no but that was a that was a good (laughs) guess (laughs) i'm gonna go with one of the new actors i think fact number two knowing five languages i think that's surprisingly alan richson best known for playing thad castle in blue mountain state uh in the upcoming fast 10 i think he i think he surprisingly speaks five languages thad castle that's all forever remember that dude as no idea so I'm going to say three's the lie, and that's Tyrese. <laughs> Sticking to that model, you end, baby. I reckon three, three's the lie, and it's Charlize is the third, maybe. I'm going to say that the ambassador the, to the uh, UN for food stuff was John Cena. <laughs> he's a good dude, man. That's a good guess, Yo, That is something he would do. I thought for sure you were going to say ludicrous. <laughs> so number three, initially passed on an acting role. Uh, while uh, in a movie while he was in college to focus on a career in politics after attending Harvard's International Model UN. Uh, it's true. He was approached by screenwriter Guillermo Arriaga, who at the time was a professor in Mexico and was asked to star in this professor's film, which he passed on. Two years later, a director comes back to Venezuela and Ramirez, who's at that moment working in politics, uh, said the director was not coming from Mexico. He was coming from uh, Cannes Film Festival. And the film that he was supposed to star in, which he didn't, was called Amore Peros, which translates to Love's a Bitch, and was nominated for Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. And he's like, oh, yeah, I passed on that for my internship in politics. I made a huge mistake. <laughs> so uh, he's like, it, it let me know that I could go in both fields. He is very much still interested in politics, even though obviously he's very successful now as an actor. Um, Fact number two is also true. He's fluent in five languages. They are English, German, French, Italian, and Spanish. And he taught Spanish to Jennifer Lawrence for the film Joy. He's the son of a soldier, and so living abroad was not a rarity for his family, and they moved quite a lot. And so he got interested in learning those languages and so he could communicate with the people he was living amongst. And then that is when he realized like, Oh, I am a good looking guy who's kind of smart and I can speak everyone's languages. Politics seems like not a bad idea, uh, which is where he originally got interested in. And fact number one. Uh, so while Ramirez is a goodwill ambassador to UNICEF, especially for meeting with diplomats in Venezuela, he helps with their violence prevention campaigns. That fact is actually not about him. It's about Hobbs and Shaw star Idris Elba, ah. who's also a great dude and works with UNICEF as well. Good job, James. That's really good trivia. Yep. Those are great. And the guys you all named as guesses are like, damn, I should have could have went with them. I was like, of course, Charlize Theron's <laughs> yeah. doing something. And so, of course, John Cena's out there helping the world. Snapshot and box office history case. What do we got? This was an interesting one because about half of his movies, there is zero box office for. And a lot of them don't even have any Rotten Tomato scores. And so I had to omit some. And in fact, of the five movies that we're featuring tonight in reviews, the only number we have is that Bright was a $90 million budget. That's it. So the whole section, we don't have any any opening numbers, we don't have any U.S., we don't have any world gross, 
We, we don't have anything but a $90 million budget for the movie Bright. Speaking of budgets, the thing that impressed me the most as I was plugging in Mr. Ramirez's data, and I'm assuming it's because he was already a pretty big star internationally, he's in massive budgeted films. He is our 14th highest average budget per film person. Wow. He does, however, uh, lend his efforts to one of one of our smallest world gross movies. Uh, in furlough, he pulls in a cool $8,000 on a $3 million budge. What are we getting for that, James? It's got to be some sort of a, uh, maybe a moped or something. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what you can get. You can buy two... Uh, 2006 BMW 325s that have about 150,000 miles on them. So that's not too shabby. <laughs> no, no, I'll take that. 20-year-old BMW? Yeah, why not? <laughs> sure. At, at some point, that's going to become an antique. So that's a, that's yeah, a good that's a good investment. His least favorite work of mine is Point Break, only because it's I just... Patrick Swayze's my guy, so yeah. there's only one Bodie, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it surprised me that this was budgeted for 105 million. I actually would have thought it was going to be a lot more than that. Whoa. In the U.S., shared my opinion and my love of the original Point Break. It, it only U.S. grossed 29 million, and then turned around in 134 million worldwide. So obviously, that movie didn't do well in the states, but did well internationally. He was the 14th ranked average budget. He comes in 54th in total box office, which isn't, that's a little bit misleading just because, again, half of his film roster is going to be international that we don't have data for. Star Meter, 74th. Critic ranking, 67th. Fan ranking, 34th. And then 73rd and 72nd. Two different box office metrics. Edgar Ramirez comes ranked 75th. Genuinely shocked. You are? Even after hearing the explanation, like I get it because a lot of the data is not there and he's done a lot of streaming movies as well, but it's still like, those are huge budgeted movies. It's kind of shocking to hear. First major role we're going to say is 04. So before 2004, the early days of Edgar Ramirez, he was born in Venezuela in 1977. There's some cool ties to his Venezuelan heritage, which we'll get into as we dig into his career. Um, he studied communication, so he's got a communications and marketing background um, in his early days as a professional, and he studied at the Andre Bello Catholic University in Venezuela. For a, ta- for a while there, he was working in media, creating campaigns for radio and TV, and he, uh, he'd done a quite a bit in the diplomacy side. So from everything I could tell, and James, you could tell me otherwise, he never really planned to go into acting. He wanted to go into politics and work in communications, and so um, I read that he was working at a film festival at the time and that's part of why he met that that mexican director uh his career and his degree was uh in politics and he did like acting classes because he liked doing acting classes and he was fascinated by the arts and he worked like you mentioned he was working film festivals but he was fully like yeah but that's not gonna work out why don't i do the steady thing once he realized he missed out on being in an academy award-winning film and he's like oh i could kind of make it even if I'm just like working in local films that are smaller, I could still, if they're good, I could still make it to that level. He's mentioned a lot how he's focused. He's like, I want to do, I want to share humanity's story through acting, which is kind of what his goal was in politics. He's like, I want to be able to represent people who aren't often represented. I, you know, the world isn't black and white. It's very gray. 
He's very philosophical about his acting approach, and he says it stems from his love for politics. Cosign on that. Uh, his first acting credit was technically when he was 12 years old. He was on an episode of Quanda Lega El Amor, but he didn't get another acting credit until he was 16, 17. So he did four v- Venezuelan films between 93 and 2003, but it, he really didn't get his first big break as an actor until they figured out this beautiful human can play in a soap opera that ran for like 280 episodes called Casita Rica. He, he was in four episodes in 2003, and that, that was really his first big recognition on the Venezuelan side as an actor. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned it earlier, so handsome. You know, it's going to open a Poke bottle on that jaw. You know, you can't just have him in as, as some background actor. You got to be on the soaps. He's got to be the love interest. Who else have we covered that was in the soaps? Annie McDowell was in the soaps. Who else was in the soap? Was Hemsworth? Yeah. Hemsworth was in the, Aust- the uh, Australian soaps. That's right. That's right. Good call. Good call. He sure was. There, there's literally two Australian soaps, Home and Away and Neighbours. And you, without them, you wouldn't have had Margot Robbie. You wouldn't have had Chris Hemsworth. You would, Actually, you probably wouldn't have any of the Hemsworths. But Samara Weaving was in there. They, they really brought a lot of big actors. Oh, man. Thank God for those shows. <laughs> so that's the law and order of Australia. definitely not all right well first uh major role we're gonna call is 2004's a dot in a line uh played pedro and james has it uh dot in a line came out in 2004 um it stars an actor by the name of uh roque valero um and uh edgar ramirez and roque plays a man by the name of cheeto who is a kind of like streetwise Venezuelan petty drug dealer. Like he more so like deals drugs, but that's not like his full-time thing. Um, and he gets arrested and thrown into the military and uh, he deserts on his company almost instantaneously. Uh, and he ends up meeting up with Pedro, who is played by Edgar Ramirez, who's like this straight laced proud Colombian dude who wants to serve in the Colombian military uh, who runs into Cheeto after his uh, group gets ambushed and Cheeto had uh, abandoned his own uh, platoon. And so they're like a odd couple of dueling militaries, but also personalities where Cheeto is this kind of smooth, but grimy kind of, let me see, like he doesn't want to be in the military, but he also doesn't want to get killed. So he's pretending to be in the military. And Pedro is as straight laced as you could be. Um, And it kind of works for a little while. The movie kind of threw me off because it's in black and white and I don't like the editing. Um, I think it's jarring in certain parts where the story just kind of stops and then starts in a different place. What really works is these two actors' chemistry. Uh, I believe when they're together, it is. It makes this kind of complex relationship come through and it kind of facilitates between the enemy and the comrade and how can we work together and it it actually works they have a chemistry that's believable what i do appreciate about the story is it's a unique story that's kind of like a comedy drama uh about this conflict that doesn't get a lot of coverage which is between venezuela and colombia and it's about these two young guys who just kind of are in the military and don't want to fight what that looks like but the movie overall uh the editing just wasn't, it, it was like hard to follow. The story's kind of hard to follow, but I did enjoy both uh, Ramirez and Valero. In it. What do you think of Edgar in his early acting days? Does he rise above the material? 
well, one, he's he's so strikingly handsome that like it, he jumps off the screen, right? It's uh, they're trying to fill the military and the farmlands, and it's so it's like just normal looking people, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, that that one farmer kind of looks like a model. I would say the parts that he's in are the parts of the movie that are probably the most dramatic. And so where it might not work in other scenes because of how it's kind of put together, he does very well in carrying uh, the serious side of the story. Whereas Valero is the comic relief side of it and they play off each other well. And so I will say that that does work and that is difficult to do with two first time actors kind of pinning all your hopes on their chemistry and it, that did work, but the movie as as a, as a whole, I don't feel like came together that well. Okay. Following a dot in the line, 2005, uh, he has his American film debut in uh, Tony Scott's Domino. He plays Chico alongside uh, Keira Knightley, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, Mickey Rourke. It is Mickey Rourke. Oh, yeah, Mickey Rourke. We've seen some Tony Scott films for this podcast before. I had never seen Domino, but holy shit, this man. He makes Michael Bay seem like calm editing in a film. Yeah, it's it's wild. And Tony Scott, I feel like it's weird. Like, I don't think he's a good director, but he makes good movies. Does that make sense? Like Crimson Tide, Deja Vu. Like, those are some of like my favorite just like put on and just like waste time while you're watching a movies. But I just don't think he's a very good director because like you said, his style is so bizarre. It's cocaine on a movie screen. Yeah, that's a that's that's a great way to describe it. Love Tony Scott. Domino, I remember being kind of a box office dud from what I remember. Tony Scott is a criminally underrated director, I reckon. I, I don't want to be that guy, but... I very much agree with this. Very, very much agree with this. He made Top Gun. He made True Romance. You know, uh, he gets to the later stage of his career and he really starts uh, experimenting in a way. And Domino is him at peak experimentation. He is, yes. he is trying this insane style of editing. You know, he totally makes fun of himself in true romance. You know, he knows that the, the genre and generation of directors who were coming up were all coked out nut jobs. you know. So Domino, it is him at his loosest because he's just trying anything and everything. Edgar is, he's mostly eye candy who speaks Spanish from time to time in the movie. Like, that's really his role. That's every role. He's mysterious eye candy. This, no one can stare broodingly into a, another man's eyes quite like Edgar Ramirez. But <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pick a flamboyant film for your first American film, you picked one in Domino. Yeah. I'll say that. You didn't pick a boring one to step into. Yep. Only things I can add to this is Rigby, you were 100% correct. $50 million budget, $23 million world gross. And um, if anybody's listening to this and you want to watch this on YouTube TV, you will watch a movie called Domino starring Jamie Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's, the only, that's my only contribution. How far did you get in? <laughs> I, I, I remember watching Domino a long time ago. So when I saw Jamie Lannister, I was like, this is not the right movie. No. <laughs> so his next film is called The Don. El Don. He plays Alvaro. And let me tell you, I tried to watch it. I watched some clips before I turned it on, and uh, it's very amateur in nature, and it's pretty rough. I don't recommend it to anybody, <laughs> but <laughs> by all means, if you would like to, have a, have a great time. I can't even speak to his performance because I didn't get, didn't get that far in the Don. But his next big one, 
pretty early in his career like this is he plays Paz in the Bourne Ultimatum in 07. This was a fun rewatch, especially having a purpose of he's the main opposing assassin because this was the third one, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was a couple times, especially towards the end when he's shoving Jason Bourne's car sideways down the street. I'm thinking to myself, this he might get him. He might get him. But <laughs> he didn't. Spoiler. I mean, the ratings are really good on this movie, too. They're both in the yeah. 90s. It's a, it was a contender for Highest Critic. Yep. It's a great third installment, isn't it? Like, normally by you get to a third film, there's, there's, they're not raising Wayne. the stakes in a, great, in a great way. But think about those Bourne movies. you got Clive Owens, a villain in one, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to, to have Ramirez. Like, he, he really does jump on board some big franchises and big films pretty early in his career, doesn't he? Did he have any dialogue in this movie? Oh. I don't know if he had a line. Did he need to have a line? Nope. No, <laughs> probably not. Right. 2007. He also did a music video for Karina called Sinti. So goes into the music video side. We've seen many actors do that after they start to build up the profile. And then another movie where he plays a villain, kind of, uh, in Vantage Point, plays Javier, a movie alongside Willie Hurt. I, I think the like the plot of this movie and the the idea of it is really cool. It's just so badly executed. It's really cheesy and corny, but I, I like the idea of like a political assassination that like you don't know who's telling the truth, who's got ulterior motives. Like I, I like that idea, but I just think it's so corny. Good cast though. Yeah. Good cast. Cracking cast. But Vantage Point is a guilty pleasure movie for me. Hey, I, I just again it's a such one of those films that has such a great premise and you love watching for the what could have been. But, um, yeah, I, I put it on and I'm a happy chappy. Hey, it's. <laughs> I agree, too. This has some rough elements. I was really excited to rewatch this because I randomly watched it when it came out and had really fond memories of it. Like we owned it. And I just remember just being like, vantage point. This one's going to be good. This is going to be a good time. It was, I, was, I was very <laughs> disappointed. That same year, though, he uh, joins a Soderbergh project in Shea, parts one and two. I don't think he. From what I could gather, even just like Googling Edgar Ramirez Shea, it was hard to find photos of him from this project. So I haven't seen it. I assume he had a smaller role in this, but somebody can tell me otherwise. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big Soderbergh fan and I've never seen it. So couldn't tell you that. Benicio Del Toro, he's the, the main character. Yeah, okay. The first part is a pretty sprawling sort of storyline. So it, it follows like quite a, a, a big part of Che Guevara's story. And so, yeah, there's, a, there's moments where he's in the jungle and he's one of the resistance fighters amongst that group that he catches up with. And then he, gets, he jumps on the producing side in, with Venezia in 2009. He was an executive producer. So really seven years into his career, he's producing projects. So that's pretty cool. And that's going to take us to what we're going to call his highest critic score, which is his Emmy-nominated role in Carlos 2010 Rigby Hassett. Carlos is a 2010 uh, TV miniseries about the life of Venezuelan terrorist uh, Illich Ramirez Sanchez, whose nickname is Carlos the Jackal. Um, Edgar Ramirez plays Carlos the Jackal. And Carlos the Jackal was a uh, Marxist terrorist who was responsible for many terrorist attacks, assassination plots in the name of uh, the liberation of Palestine in the 1970s through the 1990s. And this movie is 
it's five hours long. It's a mini series, so it's it's pretty epic. the The second episode uh, portrays Carlos Jackal's most famous terrorist attack, which was an assassination attempt uh, at the OPEC building in the mid '90s. Um, it was a pretty worldwide known attack, and um, in order to show this event, you need someone who you have to see sort of what where this guy is coming from when he's doing this. And I think Edgar Ramirez in this show is excellent, but I was really impressed with his performance in this to the to the point where like I didn't think much of Carlos or uh, much of Edgar Ramirez before I watched this, and I was blown away by it. Truly, you're going to be surprised, I think, when I give my Munson score because I'm gonna I'm gonna base it purely on this. But I think the the reviews back me up. Oh, yeah, ninety three percent from critics. It's got like a ninety three percent. It's part of the Criterion Collection. The reviews of this movie, they all say uh, his performance is the standout of the show. Fact about him speaking five languages, he does this in this show. I mean, he is truly a master at, you know, um, whether he's in uh, Venezuela, whether he's in France, Spain. I definitely recommend it. And it's really hard to find. It's only on YouTube right now. But it is, it is a Criterion Collection movie. So if you're interested in checking out the... Getting the whole series, you can order the DVD on that, but it's uh, it's excellent. Really, really enjoyed it. I didn't watch a ton of it, but I did see a lot of clips, and I was impressed with everything I saw with him. I, I don't think it's a misleading to say this is his career best work, and oh, yeah. I don't know if he's going to reach this again. But I was reading some uh, in my research for the movie. I read that the real uh, Carlos Ajaco, who's still alive, still in prison, he said that like a lot of that stuff was like dramatized and made up. So he wasn't as he wasn't as violent or as sinister as the which he, of course he's going to say, but he he basically made it sound like we never went in with guns shooting on the shooting at the ceiling that sort of thing. He he was nominated for a lot of um, international. And Golden Globe, I should say, uh, both American and international TV series awards for this, and rightfully so. I thought he was excellent. I'd have to imagine his familiarity with the intricacies of foreign and domestic politics helped him a great deal playing this role. All right, seven years until our next review, so some biggies, some biggies in there. First and foremost, as James mentioned earlier, he was named the UN Goodwill Ambassador for UNICEF in 2010. I think that's pretty cool. A couple of years later, he appears in the movie, another movie we mentioned earlier, Wrath of the Titans, plays Ares. When this movie came out, it was a movie I wanted to like. <laughs> I recall being bored to death during it, so I don't remember him or the movie. So two films in a row that are really hard to find, and one for good reason, and one like, hey, make it available for people because more people need to see it. <laughs> so what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, the Wrath of the Titans has a 37 meta score. It's pretty brutal. I never saw Clash of the Titans. Both of them just remind me of that uh, era of terrible 3D. Yeah. You know, where it was like a post-conversion 3D that looked like someone had made South Park characters out of every movie. <laughs> this movie just always makes me think of one, <laughs> the moment that you realize that if he's not a, um, a CG blue character, Sam Worthington isn't going to succeed in any movie. <laughs> and uh, and then also just uh, a cash grab of terrible um you know 3d post conversions that that both these both these films all right so maybe i'm better off for not having watched wrath of the titans but i did rewatch. <laughs> like i'm sure most of you did one of my favorite movies ever and that's zero dark 30 yep 
plays Larry, a movie we've covered several times, Jessica Chastain and Chris Pratt. And his character's not huge. He plays a big role in the second act. Yep. But it's kind of a snapshot character for a little bit in the second act. I I like his his performance in this a lot. Um it's it's very minor, as you said, Kyle, but I still remember the quote that he's in in the trailer where he said, if you're right, the whole world will want in on this. Like that, that, that's like the line of the movie to me. And like, um, obviously Jessica Chastain is fantastic in it. And so is Mark Strong. The scene where they're tracking the terrorists, like driving around the, driving around in Afghanistan or in Pakistan. Um, yeah, it's just top notch action style, like, you know, political espionage. Very, very good. One thing I love about him too is in a lot of movies and Zero Dark Thirty is the same, is you'd really be happy if someone went off and made like a spin-off TV series about his characters in a lot of films. So like, again, you think about the Bourne films, uh, I would have happily have watched his character in a TV series just running around like assassinating people. And it's the same with Zero Dark Thirty. I, there's like enough mystery around his character and coolness. I just would have loved to have seen more of Ramirez's character in Zero Dark Thirty or something else. Don't forget, Jason Clark is phenomenal in this movie. I love throwing in a, an Aussie. Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe I left out the Australian. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. Do you know what? But I, don't, I reckon most Australians wouldn't even know who he, what his name was. You know, like he is such a chameleon in whatever he is. Zero Dark Thirty, far out. What a film hey <laughs> kill me Jeff all right mate what I was struck with watching him in this was um how he kind of establishes almost the stakes of the second act he kind of reorients what like the purpose of everything is almost his disinterest or disbelief in what she was doing her having to convince him and then the line from the trailer that was quoted like he establishes all of he kind of holds the film together his 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 like his appearance in there and Personally, my favorite scene with him in it is Jessica Chastain talking to him at that table, trying like trying to get across to him how important it is what they need to be doing. It's just such a nice little back and forth. He does so well playing off of her, not really saying a ton, but giving away, giving off a lot. Like it's it, it showed me like the range, mm-hmm. what he has that I wasn't able to see. Cause I didn't, I didn't get to see Carlos. There was some other stuff that I didn't get to see that I wanted to see. So I got to see. There's a lot more there than what I got to see. It's, it's also this movie's just a masterpiece. I love it. I think what Ramirez has learned at this point of his career is like, unfortunately, I think his career gets held back by the fact that he has such a thick accent. He's intelligent. He's handsome. Sure. But could you imagine if he had like a very straight American accent, he would be a leading man. Like, there's no doubt about it. And there's a movie, like, we'll we'll talk about a bit later that I watched last night. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this should have been his leading man film. And unfortunately, his accent holds him back. I think at this point, he's realized roles where he doesn't need to talk too much and he just uh, emotes things. Like, he's so aloof in that that moment you talk there, Aubrey, where he's just sitting there. I think he's just eating dates and just, like, totally giving nothing to Jessica Chastain for a lot of that. (laughs) And I think this is the moment that he's like, I know what I'm strong at. I'm going to really take this to the hoop, you know? So the shout out Kyle Chandler, Friday Night Lights alum. That's right. Great in this. <laughs> <laughs> shout out Joel Edgerton. If we're just going to keep going here with good actors that are in this movie. <laughs> Love me some Joel Edgerton. Shout out Chris Pratt. <laughs> 
2013, he crosses over with Cameron Diaz as a priest in The Counselor. This movie sucks. Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> it was purple for a reason. I like Ridley Scott, but this movie sucks. <laughs> but a movie that I, I actually enjoyed, and I think it's interesting to talk about just knowing his Venezuelan background. He plays Simon, Simon Boulevard, in The Liberator. He's an executive producer of this film. And I, th- I think he does a pretty good job playing historical characters. And especially one that has such a deep historical connection to his own home country. It was just fascinating to watch him in this movie. I'm not going to say it's a great film, but it was interesting to see him play the character. It did not do well in the box office. It did not. $50 million budget, world gross, 5.1 mil. Mm. It's got a 51 Metascore. It's like right down the middle. It is in the average category. It's like supremely average film, but the geographic connection there is really fascinating. And he's an executive producer. I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Perhaps another film that somebody, I think Case would recommend people watch this, and that's Deliver Us <laughs> From Eza, Evil. He plays Mendoza, the, uh, the, the priest who loves to give a good exorcism. The moment I looked it up on IMDb when we sort of locked this in, I saw the name Mendoza. It just made me think of The Simpsons. So I was just like waiting for a Mendoza. <laughs> <laughs> but a film that has Eric Banner in it, and I believe it's an extremely ripped Joel McHale being uh, yeah. the villain. Knife, in this film. knife fighting. Knife fighting <laughs> Joel McHale, baby. That's right. So I literally bad. texted Case and I was like, I don't know if I buy Joel McHale as a knife fighting cop in this. I think that's my issue. <laughs> yes. So I had a wild experience viewing this movie. First of which was the aforementioned Joel McHale appearance. I thought, yeah, it's like Joel McHale. Looked it up. It was Joel McHale. <laughs> and then the usage of the Doors music in this movie is very prevalent. And I've talked about this before, but getting famous songs like that, especially from bands like The Doors, is super expensive. From a film plot standpoint, kind of feels like a B-horror movie. And a B-horror movie shouldn't have multiple usage of the movie of the of music from The Doors. And so then I looked it up. Jerry Bruckheimer produced a m- movie. Started looking and it, it's got all these different layers to it. I'm like, holy shit, this was a big production movie. It was a $30 million budget. And and it will grossed $88 million. I mean, this movie did very well. Mark Wahlberg was originally going to be the main character. So we could have had a Mark Wahlberg, uh, Edgar Ramirez. Neither of them could, could knife fight quite like Joel McHale, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> no chance. He wasn't supernatural, so he, uh, he lost in the end. But this movie is loosely based on a book. was written by the main character... And so it claimed early on in its marketing that it was inspired by true events. I remember. If you watch this movie and uh, you realize that this New York City detective is hunting supernatural demons, you would be hard-pressed to believe that it was uh, based on a true story. But that's what they did with the marketing of it. I feel like the last episode with Matt Dillon, we spent so much time prepping people for Sunlight Junior. And like they couldn't get enough of, of that review. I feel like we've done a little bit, like half of that job to get to Point Break, uh, his character as Bodie in 2015, because I know this is the one when we mentioned we were going to do Edgar. I think Rigby was like, oh, he's in that fucking terrible Point Break remake. So I'm interested to hear everybody's thoughts. I thought the action was really good. I thought the stunts were super cool. I agree. It's not that close to the original Point Break, which I don't know if we needed another Point Break, but like 
the stories aren't very similar other than it's like an undercover guy doing sports to get into a gang. You know, like other than that, like they don't seem very similar to me. This movie would have been much better had it not been called Point Break. Yeah, I agree. I think if it was just its own action movie, you'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'd agree with that. I actually would agree with that. And I think, and they're really, I mean, Edgar Ramirez is, he's a, he's obviously a, a big actor, but this movie had like no star power. Yeah. Come on, man. Luke Bracey, bro. What are you talking about? That man is a star. <laughs> Do you remember him in that fucking James Martin movie we covered years ago? Nope. <laughs> dead to me or that's not dead to me but uh the best of me or something is that what it was the called? best of me yeah. yeah younger dawson 2014 that movie was great that was my movie actually i reviewed that yes it was i remember that yeah this movie had no star power when in the first no. one you know patrick swayze was a huge star at the time keanu reeves so, and he was he was a bad guy in it like keanu reeves Gary Busey. Yeah, Guys, I've never seen the original Point Break. Whoa. Oh, it's great. Don't kill me. Fuck? It's awesome. It's good, Kyle. I saw this four days ago. But I've never seen the original Point Break. So I come with a very interesting lens, having never seen the original. Share this lens. He's so attractive in this movie, first and foremost. With that little hair thing he's got going, going on. He, is, he has so much charisma on screen, but there's just no emotion. There's no emotional connection to the character and to the characters. Yes. And I think this is like the perfect example of Edgar's most of his acting career of being like, he's got charisma for days in the, in a role, but you just never quite connect to the character of the film the way you probably could. Mm-hmm. That's That's how I perceived Point Break. Very fair. Very, very fair. The reason that this movie should work is because you have a lovable anti-hero. Yeah. And the first one... I mean, those you love those guys. Like you quoted Patrick Swayze more than you did anybody else in the movie, including the fucking always wild Gary Busey. <laughs> and in this movie, which again, don't call it Point Break, and it's probably better because when when we're relating this character that he's playing, a hundred percent, Kyle, you just don't connect with him. Point. This is the first time in Munson's history I'm taking away points for somebody because they played a Patrick Swayze role. I can't. I can't look past this. He's getting ahead on this one. For as much as I love him and Carlos, he does lose points for being in this one, I think, as well. Yes. Swayze is totally going against type to play Bodie. And, and again, Ramirez isn't doing that. And so then you don't believe it. And actually, I wouldn't be surprised if Point Break was a Fast and Furious movie that just never got made. You like, there's so many things in it that you could see in a Fast and Furious movie. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You'd go, oh, wow. Like maybe it's something Vin Diesel turned down, you know, or it was too <laughs> unbelievable to see him as Bodie because there's this weird feels like it could have been like the fourth Triple X movie. Yeah. When the dude went sprawling over snowboarding and did 80 million flips on his way down, if he would have survived, then it's a Fast and Furious movie. But my man splattered at the bottom of that hill. Triple X is a great franchise, Jeff. That's exactly where this film belongs. And it's, then it's not that bad. No. A movie that came out in 2015 that he was in that was originally had huge Oscar prospects because it's David O. Russell, was the director, Jennifer Lawrence, which James mentioned earlier, was Joy. He plays Tony. I like this movie quite a bit. Yeah, I like Joy. He plays her. He plays her ex-husband in this movie, and he's good. This movie works. It's a, it's really Jennifer Lawrence just being an incredible movie star and great actress. This, she just plays this movie the whole time. 
back to the producing side in 2015 and from afar he's an executive producer on that and then he goes to the boxing side in 2016 and plays Roberto Duran and hands a stone alongside John Turturro Anna Diarmas Usher plays his there it is. rival <laughs> De Niro you know every actor we cover there's one movie they're in where a, a musician tried to act and this is the one for Edgar <laughs> Ramirez where Usher plays Sugar, Sugar Ray Leonard. I do like the relationship and the chemistry between De Niro and Ramirez in this. Mm-hmm. I do too. I thought that played really well. I think it's the better part of the movie. Yeah. Because he's not talking to Usher. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of, one of uh, Edgar's better roles, I think, of the stuff I've seen. I think he's really good in this. I would agree with that. This is top three for me. He's really good in this, and the movie kind of betrays him. Because he's like all in, mm-hmm. charisma all over the place. He's really selling this character. But it lends to the point that you were making early, Kyle. Like you, He's charisma everywhere. You're drawn into it. But emotionally, I couldn't fully get there with him. And I chalked it up to the movie just letting him down. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a him thing, but th- to me, the movie just completely fails him. I don't fully understand this character or what he's trying to do or what's going on. Do I like him? Do I hate him? Like one minute, he's like mega star doing everything for his country. The next minute, he's like fucking super reckless to Usher's wife. Like that's, it's just, it's wild. I don't fully <laughs> understand what this movie is trying to make me feel about him, but he is great. Usher is bizarre. I don't understand anything about it, and I want to know everything about it. How did he get this role? Who was like, know who we should get to play this iconic black athlete? The dancing guy. Like, what? (laughs) Hell of a singer. Hell of a singer. It doesn't make any sense. And like, I'm sorry, I got to do it. There's If if you need an indictment on, on... Black people in Hollywood. It's the fact that Usher got this role and they couldn't look at any other black guy and be like, we got a better guy for this role. It sounds like they'd have been better off having Sugar Ray play himself at his age. Would have. <laughs> Usher walks so Michael B. Jordan could run as Creed. Come on. <laughs> Two things that are developing for me in Ramirez's career as we're looking at it. Number one, it doesn't seem like he's hitting home runs as the lead character but he's kicking ass as a supporting role. Would this be a lead character, though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this should have been a home run to me, though. It should have. Okay. I think the ingredients were there to be a home run, and it was... Oh, sure. Not just that. There's a lot of other problems (laughs) with it, but that doesn't help. Ursher Raymond? No. But the other thing I'm liking is... I love when Eric when they play real life characters, and and it sounds like he does that really well in mo in all of what we talked about so far, and he does it really well here. He's gotten a chance to play some really interesting biopic characters in his career, in his short yeah. career. I give him credit for that. Yeah. 2016, he joins Emily Blunt and Allison Janney in The Girl on the Train. He plays Doctor Abdrick. I don't think a huge role in the movie. He's not in it very long. Yeah. He's- this movie's a letdown. <laughs> I wanted this movie to be good. Same here. I really like this book. I saw it when it came out. and was so disappointed by this movie. Emily Blunt's going for it. She's trying, but again, the movie's just too all over the place. It doesn't know what made the book great, it feels like. And it kind of makes moves that are separate. Like they, They're yeah. revealing stuff that they should have held on to. Like Emily Blunt's an unreliable narrator. If they hold that, 
you know, later on into the story, then the reveals that come in the third act hit a lot harder. I said the rewatch, I was still disappointed, but I want to like this movie. Well, speaking of fun, Gold 2016 plays Michael, plays Mike. This is a Matthew McConaughey vehicle, ultimately, but I, I like Gold. I rewatched it. I, I think it's an enjoyable film to watch Matthew McConaughey's character get just, I guess, screwed over for 98% of the movie, and then it works out really for him. It's all set and done. I enjoyed this movie a great deal. This is another movie he's playing a real-life character. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine is an avid gold investor. And I asked him if he liked this movie, and he's like, I love that movie. And I was like, all right. All right. There's a stamp of approval. The yeah. gold stamp, as, as you will. <laughs> In doing research, I saw that uh, a lot of people like your friend similarly at least appreciated how it was depicted because uh, Ramirez did a ton of research into like what this job entails and what these people's lives are like. Apparently it came through in the movie. Like I, I knew nothing about this story and he's so convincing at, in his, in the first part of the movie. And then when it, when the turn happens and you see what's going on, I, it was shocking to me. Yeah. Jeff said earlier something about him being good at playing mysterious characters. It works in this. That's what the character demanded. Yeah. Has to be. You have to be mysterious for that to work. Nope. All right. Well, let's get to Jeff's review. Uh, he drew largest audience gap, which is 2017's Bright. Came was on Netflix, uh, a movie that is very polarizing over <laughs> over the years. So I'm very interested to hear from the Australian side, this movie about race. Is it about race? I thought it was about orcs and fairies <laughs> and stuff. About those things too. Yeah. So glad that I got this. It's interesting. Uh, Case mentioned earlier on about like, the budget of this film being so incredibly large, $90 million. And this is actually like, this is actually pretty low key, um, a very important film for the streaming service wars. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, Bright's actually the first ever original Netflix production. Um, so this is the first time that a streaming service went all in on a film. And um, reportedly, you know, that $90 million budget, a uh, good $40 million of it went to Will Smith for this movie. And that was like Will Smith got paid a chunk of cash. Uh, and the deal of that is that you get no residuals whatsoever out of this. You just get a flat fee and that's what you're in. Uh, also, big props to Joel Legerton, who you wouldn't even realise is in this movie. And he is so darn good. But I'll let you know what the movie's about. And then we can just talk all about all the good things and a few bad things in Bright. Uh, so just imagine David Ayer, the director, he's coming off a back of a heap of stuff as well. End of Watch, Sabotage, Fury. He's just released Suicide Squad. So for Netflix, he's probably like box office gold at this point. Reasonably low budget films that come out and make a, a poop ton of cash. Um, so the, the, the ingredients were there and he's, he's set himself up as the maker of gritty things. Uh, Training Day he wrote. He also did Street King. So just imagine Training Day, the gritty sort of ghetto parts of uh, LA. He's reimagining that as a fairy tale world. There are fairies, there are elves, there are orcs, all with humans in a modern time. And basically two police officers, one is Will Smith, one is an orc played by Joel Edgerton. They head out to um, a call out and they find that there is a fairy with a wand. Now wand, who if you can wield the wand, you have the ultimate power. Um, basically a bit like a genie in some weird sort of way, but basically dirty cops try to kill them. They try and save the elf and they're getting framed for all sorts of things. And, you know, it all, they, they're just trying to survive with this one. That's the crux of this film. And 
Will Smith doesn't like his his orc friend. I can see why he took the role. You know, it plays on the racial um, stereotypes given to black Americans. So the orcs are now basically how um, I I would assume black Americans feel they are treated. And so, um, you know, that really plays out. So it's a nice little subversion there for for Will Smith. And I can see why he really jumps on board for this. Um, Is it executed well? Oof. I'm not sure. I've got this theory that Netflix gives creative control to their filmmakers like nobody does, and that's actually not a great thing because sometimes boundaries make great films. You know, Zack Snyder's a great indicator of that. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is a cracking film, but Army of the Dead, not so much. You know, his sandbox was way too big to play there, and I think this is what we get with Bright. It's also setting up a world. And so, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of Edgar Ramirez in this film. He plays like a, an FBI agent slash uh, magical elf that's trying to hunt down this wand. And it sort of teases that we would get a lot more in the, in the films to come. And, you know, unfortunately, all he is is just a blank face most of the time with long, flowing blue hair. And, and and not too much, um, which is a real shame for Ramirez because, you know, you don't feel connection to him at all in this movie. Unfortunately, this is all the good ingredients are there. It just didn't get made well. So um, I don't know. I, I feel like if it's the biggest audience gap, I'm probably on the lower side of this one. But it's it's a fun film to watch. It's a huge gap, too. We're talking 83-26. Yeah. It's the polar opposites. He, he goes for something so big uh, that I think the second time around uh, I enjoyed it a lot more, but I'm left wishing that I'd got, you know, more of a complete film rather than the first instalment of what looks to be a, a franchise. And, you know, it's a bit of a letdown. You don't get anything beyond that. Maybe, you know, these days Netflix would probably look more towards making this as a TV series and it would play out really solid. Yeah. And um, everyone would be talking about how incredible bright the TV series is. I think this movie gets better uh, as time goes on. You think once it's like let loose of its original Netflix expectations? Yep. I just think Zootopia came out a year before and that movie did the, the, these topics better by miles. Yes. Zootopia <laughs> is brilliant. Zootopia is brilliant. I could write a thesis. I just saw a note the other day that the, the last two films that made over a billion dollars that didn't have a sequel were Titanic and Zootopia and Zootopia just got greenlit for a sequel. So now it is just Titanic. Well, Titanic 2. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to do a sequel to Titanic. I mean, we all know the spoilers on that one. Yeah. Hey, they're doing a sequel to Gladiator, so anything's possible. <laughs> In the Titanic. There's a sequel to be done. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Jack's ghost is haunting and chasing down. Like, there's something to figure out. The door washes up onto shore and someone decides to use it in their home and then suddenly they've created a haunted house. <laughs> yeah, it's a portal. <laughs> um, I think it's a very cool concept to be like, yeah, actually, fairies and orcs and elves have existed forever and it's normal and it's not weird. There's like a class system in there and like all the elves are like super pretentious, yuppie rich people. Like we kind, they kind of bother us and... I thought that part was cool, and then I agree. It's just there's not a. It didn't really tell a story. I had a similar experience. I didn't watch this when it came out because it got just roasted, and I just wasn't really interested. I kind of enjoyed this one, and this is a loaded and very complicated statement. But if you can set movies and tensions on race and its commentary on race aside, movies not. It's not bad. No. 
Like I, I would want to watch more of these. I, the world building is what I was most interested in. I wish I could have spent more time just kind of seeing them go through this world and what all of these really interesting ideas. It's a subversion of of race and the way black people deal, the way black people have been treated, written by a white guy. That's what makes it. That's that's why it feels the way it feels. So like it's really off putting when the movie opens. Will Smith is beating up this creature, and a bunch of black, I guess, gang members, quotation fingers, are saying, yeah, do that LAPD shit. It's a joke. That's, that's bizarre. Yeah. And if you, there's no coming back from that. Yeah, it's hard to start that way. Be like, hey, do you get what we're going for? It's like, yeah, it's pretty fucking clear what you're going for. We got it. Mm. Like, you made us uncomfortable. Left no subtlety whatsoever after that first <laughs> joke. Made it pretty obvious what you were going for here. That's just a wild phrase to have to have two black guys say to each other. Cop in LA. There's a lot of like really like dynamic things at play. And I don't think this movie is capable of handling. Mm. So like I you know, I can kind of push that stuff aside because a lot of movies fumble through this kind of stuff because it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And once you get past that, the other stuff, the fantasy stuff about it I found really interesting. Following Bright, I just thought this was a really interesting anecdote. He's a big watch nerd, and he had his precious watch collection stolen in 2017. And so I, I, there wasn't much about like his relationships and shit like that, but there was a bunch about how he had his like most of his watch collection stolen in 2017. Like that is devastating. Really expensive watches. You can't publicize that shit because someone at some point is just going to be like. How tough could the security in this house actually be? You know, it's, like, it's like, I mean, it's probably him in a ring light. Like, I could get there. You know? like, mm-hmm. Him in a ring light. He had a shitload of Casios, I bet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot to just glowed in the dark. You know, just really, really, really nice watches. A couple hey, minutes. Look at this watch. It glows in the dark. Oh, Bells and Witchels. Ooh, it's a $40,000 watch. Little do you know. <laughs> I like to imagine that they were all ones that he got out of cereal boxes, like a King Kong watch or a Superman <laughs> watch. And they weren't really bougie watches. Still in the plastic. He never took it out. It's all collector's items <laughs> instead of like 50 grand watches. He's like, oh, my grandma gave me that watch, bro. Kyle, you did say precious watch collection, not valuable watch That's collection. That's a good point. That's right. It's, they're very important. It's sentimental. He takes two years off from acting after his watch collection. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> he joined a few support groups here. Nicholas Cage was talking about having his precious no. collection stolen. There's just nothing really to note between 2017 and 2020. So it looks like he was in mourning for two years until 2020. And he said, you know what? Dude didn't know what time to show up to to set so he had no way to tell <laughs> his, his bougie watch collection disappeared so he said i'm gonna go play versace in american crime story i'm gonna play a bougie ass character for six episodes and get golden globe and emmy nominations for it i brought his name up of somebody who we were covering to multiple people and this was what they referenced makes sense yeah darren chris is like the star of the of this show and he's darren chris is amazing in this show but i really liked penelope ramirez in this Ramirez, this is my second favorite performance of his throughout his career Ooh. after Carlos. Yeah, I didn't see the whole thing. I don't know enough about Versace to know like how close he did it, but it seemed to be believable what he was going for. I don't really either, and I, I like the OJ one better than this, but this the acting in this was better. I like the story in OJ better. For as being the 
namesake of the show. He's not in it as much as you think. Yeah. Because obviously he gets murdered. <laughs> no. It's really, it's really. Spoiler: yeah. They're gonna make Versace too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ghost of Versace. Versace was going to appear in the Titanic sequel. That's right. <laughs> Him and Doors. <laughs> to the music of the Doors. It's getting weird. It's just getting fucking weird. It's expensive, weird, and expensive. I love it. Get in. I'm in. So yeah. Other than Carlos, this is his most award-nominated role for the year. Yeah. This is the other biggie. Sorry, what year did you say this came out? I thought it came out in 2020. Maybe it was was earlier. I think it was like 2018. Maybe I just accidentally wrote 2020, but it might be 2018. Yeah, I think it was. I think because the the OJ one was 2016. I think this came out like two years later. That makes sense. So he he, maybe he didn't take a big break after uh, getting his watch collection. Okay, so he made six months (laughs) off, six months off. And then once he felt like he had enough back, it was he could he could get back on the horse couple quick projects i'll mention before we get to our next review uh resistance he played sigmund a role where i I saw the still i haven't seen the movie with ed harris and jesse eisenberg but he looks like he's playing a jewish character so there's some range there i guess he went from like being kind of stereotyped as a terrorist early in his career to now playing a jew which i think is interesting same director as hans stone as well oh okay resistance all right lowest critic score is a doozy and it's the last days of American crime. He's he's a leading man, plays Graham, and I'm sure Case has some thoughts. Ugh. I think this is the one Jeff was talking about earlier. Oh, it was. Yes. So everything that we've talked about in his career that we've liked, both in his performances and the movies he's played, uh, we see none of those in this movie. You're right. It's brutal. A couple interesting notes. You know, number one, this movie was crushed by critics because it was released coinciding with a lot of the George Floyd protests. It's a massively violent movie and in depictions of police brutality, it's just not a good look, right? You know, this movie was produced by, I think it, I think Mandalay or another, some, some big film production company. And part of me thinks that this was intended to, to go to a theater. And they realized, you know, uh, this this movie's going to have to find a streaming home. There's a lot to unpack about it. 2020 action thriller film based on a graphic novel by the same name. If I'm going to be honest, I did think that the premise was interesting in that they are able to take away a person's ability to be able to commit a crime. And we're literally coming up on the last days and people are committing a ton of crimes to get it out of their system, kind of like they do in The Purge, or they're trying to flee to go to Canada where they're not going to do this. The, it was called the API. So I thought that part was interesting, and I was in. I couldn't go with it. And I'll be honest, the other part that's jarring, it's 149 minutes long. It is two and a half hours. It's brutal. Multiple times I hit pause. And I'm like, all right, how much do I got left? And I'd go, oh, come on. I got to watch this much more. Craig, help our audience understand. What's the critic score on this with 43 reviews? Yeah. What is it? What's that number? It's zero. With 43 reviews. Not just five, not like five reviews or something like that. Yeah. 43. Ouch. We can easily make it 44 with zero. <laughs> if I was an accredited critic. It's a heist movie. I don't know. It, it's. 
I, I obviously I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't I don't really know what else it's there's nothing else to say. I know Jeff, you saw it and, and had some thoughts, and I'd love to hear your thoughts because I find you to be an intelligent person. So Oh well that means I've tricked you as well. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I say it was really funny? I was looking on IMDB last night and I just brought it up now so I can look. And uh one of the featured reviews on uh IMDB has the title Felt like Tommy Wiseau made this one too. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's disrespectful to Timmy, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> you know what? It's a, it's a really fascinating movie because if you were Edgar Ramirez and you got given a graphic novel and they said, hey, I'm going to give you The Purge Meets Children of Men, you'd go, I'm in. Yeah. You know, I can be a leading man in this movie. I'm in. The problem is that it's made by the dude whose film credits are like taken to, transported to, yeah. Colombiana, you know. And while Olivier Megaton has, has a huge credit, he's probably making a bucket load of money out of the movies he's making, you know. Um, the thing that stands alone with a film like, say, Children of Men is that there is an absolute filmmaking genius making the, fi- the thing, you know. And so poor old Edgar Ramirez is given, like, not a great opportunity to shine in this movie even though he's the lead man yeah like he looks great you know he, yep. all the stills he looks like if you gave me the stills of there's like the famous one which every time you look it's like him sitting in the truck you go dang i want to see that movie you didn't. do you know where they lost me is the moment michael pitt walks in with his like oily reverse mullet i was like oh, oh man I'm done. Like Michael Pitt just shows what caliber they're going for here. And, and he, you know, unfortunately, Edgar Ramirez is surrounded by not great actors in this movie. To me, the best scene of the movie was literally the first scene of the movie where he's torturing that guy in the bathtub. Yep. It's flat after that. Yeah. I, I really like the when the end credits showed up on the screen. That was my, my favorite part <laughs> of the movie. It was a great scene. Phenomenal. I really like the Netflix logo. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, that's enough. Last days of American crime. Yeah. We keep we're gonna keep it going. Sorry, case you had to suffer that. Um, before our last review, uh, he was in The Undoing, Detective Mendoza, six episodes of that in twenty. Good show. Yeah, I like this show. You can tell he like knows more than he's giving off to Nicole Kidman and what he knows about this case. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he's just a really good like smart ass cop. I had a feeling you would like the show, Rigby. I've never seen it, but just looking at the description, I was like, I bet Rigby's seen this, and I bet he likes it. Yeah, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I, I binged the whole thing in, like, a couple days. Yeah, it's only six episodes, so. Yeah. Digestible. Remembering his character, I feel like this is kind of a divergent from the normal character we've been seeing. Is that Would, would you say that's accurate, Rigby? He was a cop in, uh, in the Orc movie. I don't know if you know that. But... <laughs> no. I would say so. He plays it differently. You know, it doesn't seem like he's relying on his physical appearance in this role. He does this, like, good cop, bad cop thing. Yeah. Where he's he's trying to get Nicole Kidman to admit more than she's willing to, basically. Almost like he's the smartest guy in the room. Correct. Type of a role. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's unique. He doesn't usually play that kind of role. He's too good looking to be the smartest guy in the room, so he can't play that role normally. He can't, he can't sneak through subtly like that. At least it's not fair if that's the case. <laughs> Last review is 2021's Yes Day, another Netflix movie, and uh, Aubrey has it. I was given the pleasure to watch this hidden gem. 
I miss completely because I am not a fan of Jennifer Garner. So when something like this happens, I just skip it and never pretend like it happened. But yesterday, 2021 film directed by Miguel Arteta um, is basically this couple falls in love. They kind of say yes to everything, quote unquote. They're just just kind of do whatever they want to do. They're freewheeling. They just try new things, experience stuff. They're really driven by that. They get married. They become parents. And then everything turns, you know, it's a play on that traditional idea of like, once you have your kids, you become the person that you never really wanted to be or thought you were going to be. They say no to everything now. And it's, I don't want to say it's causing strife in their family with their three kids, but Jenna Ortega, this is for the algorithm so we can get more people to listen. Jenna Ortega's in this movie, young people. So you should listen to us talk about it. You remember her from Wednesday, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, is your typical teenager who wants to, you know, do teenage things, but but PG TJ, teenage things, and they keep saying no. And there's just a conflict with that. And so they hear this concept of giving their kids a yes day in which they say yes to everything their kids want to do for that day. And shenanigans ensue. Um movie is exactly what you think it's going to be it's hard to be mad at a movie like this it's not bad um it is what it is i appreciate it because it tries it's trying to say bigger things it's trying to do more than just like typical family stuff edgar ramirez's character he's the dad he is the the good cop in all scenarios. They try to give him an arc, like a full arc. They really go for that. Like, I don't want to say really go for it, but they go for it. It's a, it's a, it's a fine time. If this is your type of movie, if you like family movies, if you like lighthearted comedies, you want to just put something on that, like mindless man. Yeah. It just, it's non-offensive in any kind of way. It's, it's perfectly fine. I think what the kids ask for, for yesterday is stupid. So like, that's a separate conversation. <laughs> Like they get ice cream in the morning, <laughs> then they do like a water balloon fight game. It's like, yo, I know they there's rules, which I appreciate the movies like took time to establish rules. I appreciated that. Like we could do better than that, guys. I appreciated hearing Edgar sing Faith No More epic in the car with this kid. That was a fun scene that I, I still remembered. I think he's genuinely good in this. Like he's fun. He's funny. Yeah, he's a fun dad. It's like it's like a it's a big character. It's bigger than you know I've seen him do. It's more like kind of loose. It was it was nice to see him do something way different. This critic app is hilarious. By the way, the critic app's only eight points. It's fifty one forty three because <laughs> Edgar Ramirez is not in a lot of movies that are critically acclaimed but audiences don't like, a.k.a. like artsy-fartsy indie films. That is not Edgar Ramirez's usual project choice. I mean, it's a nice one to review. It's pretty easy. You've seen one of these movies, you've seen them all. Check it out on Netflix, as we could say for much of his stuff post-2016. <laughs> it's a pretty good chance, 50-50 chance. All right, well, let's round it out. We've got a couple more, uh, just a few more things he's done in the past few years. A big one, 2021, he played Aguirre in Jungle Cruise alongside Emily Blunt, obviously huge Disney picture. Yep. And he's the he's the baddie in this one. He's the bad guy. Kind of. Inhabited. <laughs> kind of the bad guy in this one. Framed antagonist. Jesse Plemons is awesome in this movie. <laughs> he is. Jesse Plemons is awesome in 
everything he does, but especially <laughs> this. The sad thing is Edgar Ramirez's character would have been better served if Jesse Plemons' character didn't exist. But the movie 100%. would be significantly worse if Jesse Plemons' character didn't exist. Yep. I kind of like this movie. I watched it. This is the second time I watched it. It's outside of okay. the special effects being just uncanny. They're just super bizarre. I don't know what they're doing. It's a pretty good time. The Rock and Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt's just great. Charming, isn't she? She's a star. Yeah, tremendous. He makes it all work. If you've ever done the Jungle Cruise at Disney, it's just fun to watch the movie because every joke that The Rock says, you've heard people say over and over (laughs) again. And then two other things I'll mention real quick. 355, a movie that came out last year. He plays Luis alongside Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, and a whole bunch of other starlets who are awesome. Film, meh, at best. Forgettable. Very forgettable. Saw it in theaters and I was like, oh, I'll never watch that again. Yeah. Didn't rewatch it for this either. Better ways to use my time. And then Dr. Death. He plays Paolo in two episodes of that. Came out here in 2023. Dude, the audience score on the last few movies compared to the critics score is insane. So like, like Jungle Cruise, audience loved it. Critics hate it. Uh, the 355, audience loved it. Critics hate it. Like, Yeah. It seems to be a, a running theme the last few movies. Yeah. All right, Rigby, top performances. What do you got fired up for us? So I wasn't able to find a performances ranking list, unfortunately, for Mr. Ramirez. We could give our own top three, or I found this this could be a little little interesting and different. Just because I love hearing what other actors consider their favorite movies. So I found a Rotten Tomatoes article from 2016 where Edgar Ramirez lists his five favorite movies ever. Oh. Ooh. I think we can all assume that with if you haven't seen Carlos then I can understand that you that you might not put it at number 1, but I think it's 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 what put him on the map and I think it's still probably what he's known most for. So um it's a safe bet that no matter what list I were if I were to find one, Carlos would be number 1. Uh, Edgar Ramirez in 2016, uh, when he was promoting Hands of Stone, uh, listed his five favorite films of all time. And I'm interested in this list because it's super random and eclectic. So on here is Dancer in the Dark from 2000, which I've never heard of. In the Mood for Love from 2000, which is a famous Wong Kar Wai movie. Dude, Dancer in the Dark is a Lars von Trier film. Oh, is it really? Like the house that Jack built, Nymphomaniac. Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. Clouds of Sils Maria, which is a uh, uh, Juliet. Yeah. Um, uh, what's your face is in it? Um, the Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz is in it. Yep. Great movie. And the Criterion. That's also a really good movie. So I saved the best two for last because I love both these movies. So The Hunt with Mads Michelson. So fucking good. Yeah. One of the best movies ever. Excellent movie. I was very happy to hear that he is a fan of that as well. And then I saved the best for last just because this is one of my favorite comedies. We talked a lot about it on the last episode with my brother. There's something about Mary. Yes. Give him, give him some Munson <laughs> points, baby. Yeah. Uh, he says, I love everything about this film. Cameron Diaz and Ben Stiller are so moving. Ben Stiller is so fantastic. How many things can go wrong? I mean, it's hilarious. Uh, he says, I love this film, and it's one of the most hilarious films I've ever seen. So I'm with him there. You should listen to our Matt Dillon episode, all that Lars von Trier conversation. He'd fucking love it. He should. I saved The Hunt and There's Something About Mary for, for last, just because those two are two of my favorites as well. 
if I'm looking at his career, I would say Carlos, American Crime Story, and probably Hands of Stones, my top three for him. For three, I would, I, those two I'd definitely put, uh, the two that you said I would put top two, but three I'd either say Hands of Stone, just because his role is obviously he's a star in it, um, but I really like his character in Zero Dark Thirty. I really do. I think he, he plays well off of Chastain. Like they have good chemistry in in their scenes together. And yeah, I think he's he plays a CIA agent slash spy really well. Mm-hmm. And if I had to round out my top five, I'd go the Liberator Gold. This would probably be my top five for him. Let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to hundred based on a variety of factors that can include anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, or awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. And this time we will start with Rigby. So I, I was kind of prepared to give him a pretty a lower score than than usual uh and then i watched carlos and he he bumped his score up for that um yeah i, I find him really charming charisma is the word that comes to mind when you when you see edgar ramirez uh kind of like jeff said when when you see him on screen um you know you're happy to see him i guess you don't have a you know nothing there's no negative feelings that come with that so He's not going to get a really high score for me, but he's also not going to get the lowest. So I'm going to give him a sweet spot of a 68. Hey, like I said earlier, I, I just, as I continue to look at his career and, and work on his filmography and, and see different roles, I had just become, I became fascinated by him. And then hearing James talk about just the, he and I had very different upbringings. It's shocking. You were in Model UN? <laughs> I couldn't even get in the model student council. How many countries do you move around to? He didn't even play with models. <laughs> I barely speak one language, and he's got eight or nine. I don't remember what he said. It's just, it's, it's, Five. he's a fascinating, fascinating person. I always have a soft spot in my, in my critic radar for people that play real life characters, and he does that well. And it might be some of his better roles. Downside is that I'm not sold on him as a leading man. I have a theory that a lot of our scores are affected by assignment bias. And the fact that I, uh, I got last days of American crime might be hurting him a little bit. I'm a bigger fan of him now than I was before we did this episode. In the world of my imaginary made-up numbers, I'm going to give him a 72. On my end, I love his unconventional origin story as an actor that you know he wanted to do very different things and was working adjacent doing marketing for film festivals. And I think it's interesting, like, if you have a skill set, it'll bring you to it eventually. I mentioned earlier, I think his best strength as an actor is to stare forebodingly at another character or at the camera. I think he just, there's no one else we covered. It quite does it like, like Edgar. Yeah. Him and The Rock, really. <laughs> Right. Miles and miles of charisma. But again, he lacks that emotional buy in from the audience that would like capture hearts of everybody who watches. Love the fact he got to play Simon Bolivar. And I think he does play a villain well. And it's it's clear he's he's been entrusted to play characters that tie to his home country. And I think that's super fascinating. Super talented. He's tried singing a few times. I don't think he's a great singer, but he obviously the languages are there. He supports numerous foundations. He's a an absolute joy to watch in interviews. He just seems like such a lovely, yeah. endearing human. He, he would be great to meet at some point and shake his hand and just talk about life. 
Yeah, but unfortunately, his career will never be as compelling as it was in Carlos 12, 13 years ago. So he gets a bonus point from me for being in Zero Dark Thirty, but he loses that point for being in Last Days of American Crime. <laughs> and so because of that, I am going to give him a solid 60. Jeff, our guest, Munson, you're up. Yeah, I think he is great to look at, but unfortunately, <laughs> the roles that he has chosen uh, just haven't given much beyond that. It's really hard because you watch him in films like The Bourne Ultimatum and, uh, you know, he plays a great villain. But I think it's Zero Dark Thirty, again, is, is another example of that, is where he is mysterious. And I wish I'd seen Yesterday because um, I was really intrigued to see how he would go in a comedic, light-hearted role. Because when you think about the majority of his uh, his work, it's very serious. And, and um, so I might watch that one with the family tonight. But, you know, I think... Uh, looking at the back end of his career, how it has panned out, I don't think he's making great choices. You know, they're not really stretching him too far as an actor. So is that uh, a sign that the longevity of his career is going to continue on? I don't know. I hope he has something really great in him that we get and, you know, another version of Carlos that is more accessible for people. But I think, unfortunately, maybe it's just his uh, his booking agent just doesn't get him the sort of work that he'd hoped, you know, post Shay, uh, or so I'd probably say I'd give him a. I don't know. I was thinking sixty-five is pretty pretty fair for him. Love it. Every score is fair, my friend. I think it's wild that um, that's the first time that line has ever been said in one of our months meters that uh, they're good to look at. But that's where it stops. Unfortunately, his accent, I actually think, would hold him back from gaining those leading man roles. And, you know, uh, I think you guys sent me a link to him singing uh, something stupid with uh, Jennifer Lawrence beforehand. And again, his accent is so thick in singing that it's almost like watching a parody version of the song in a weird way, you know. Um, So, you know, uh, I think, unfortunately, there's just some factors that hold him back in there. But again, I I'm really hoping yesterday changes my mind. Aubrey. It's a lot of pressure on yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I echo a lot of the same things that are being said. Charisma off the charts. Um, I think one of the things that I was thinking about his career and kind of how I think about him because I wasn't like kind of unknowingly familiar with Edgar Ramirez heading into this. Like I didn't know that I had seen him in so many things already. Yeah. Uh, and so when I was thinking about his career after this, I'm just kind of processing what I think about it. I just, it kind of struck me that I, I like him. Every time I see him, I like him. I want to watch more movies with him in it. I don't really like his movies like that. And so that's, it's just an odd experience to really like an actor, really root for an actor, really root for, um, the movie to be good and just walk out a little disappointed. And so that's not always his fault. A lot of the movies I saw, Hands of Stone, that's not him. And some of the other ones that just weren't him. I want to see him get like, he plays a good villain. I want to see him get like a really big, like full-fledged, you are the main villain, almost like a second co-star in like a Bond film or something like that. I want to see him like really get something meaty and complex I think he would kill that. Well, he'd be a great Bond villain. That's a great call. Agreed. As it stands, it just kind of I'm just left a little disappointed. So I'm going uh, 64. James, round us out. You guys nailed most of it. I really liked him in Hands of Stone. I thought he was uh, his relationship with De Niro was the best part of the movie, and 
he had it's weird you see him and you think he performs well and you think he was great in a role and you think the movie sucked and it's like all right well you know you can't blame that on him but then it happens like three times and four times and then five times you're like, ah, maybe just pick shitty movies uh but he clearly has the talent he's clearly a good person he's also a very smart person i just wish i could see him in some better roles i'm going to give him a 59 you move him all right with that that gives Edgar Ramirez a 64.67 average, which puts him in 59th place between Seth Green and Regina Hall. So two spots down from Matt Dillon. Aubrey, he's got, some, he's got six, at least six things coming soon. And the first one, I'm very interested. Yeah, me too. Your thoughts on considering uh, you are the Florida man on the podcast. So. Well, then I'm going to save that one for last and build anticipation. Ooh, There we go. Some of the stuff he has in in development, he's got uh, another movie with Robert De Niro and the guy whose name I will not try and say that directed Hands of Stone and Resistance. So if you like that pairing, they're going to come back, apparently. So that's something that I'd be kind of interested in. Black or White, Never Gray is a TV series um, that's in production or in development. In production, he has a film called Losing Clementine, which doesn't seem like he's the star, but he's the only person attached to it. It's about like a female character, so that's uh, kind of odd. Nobody's Heart stars Google and Batha Raw, which I'm very interested in because I love her, and those two together would be interesting. Or Munson. The thing I'm most interested in is Borderlands. Yes, mm-hmm. same here. A movie directed by Eli Roth, <laughs> written by Craig Mazin. Yep. Same guy did Chernobyl and The Last of Us. And the Last of Us, yeah. But yeah. also, scary. He wrote Scary Movie Four and Three. Uh-huh. Ted Cruz's college roommate. <laughs> so you know that guy. <laughs> Wait, is that for real? That last part? Yeah, he's he's yep. Ted Cruz's <laughs> college roommate, and he has like weird stories about Ted. Of course, he would. When Ted Cruz was running in 2016, he was he had a lot to say. It was hilarious. He also wrote The Hangover too. Yep. Damn. Did do that. Talented dude. That movie also has. Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Haley Bennett, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Kate Blanchett in it. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea what to make of that, but I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. And then Florida Man. TV series. Look, man, just get the Florida stuff right. Can't say I'm going to watch it. Get the Florida stuff right. But is it going to be like the Florida Man stuff that's like the crazy news headlines about crimes that have never happened anywhere on Earth besides Florida? Or is it something different? When an ex-cop returns to his home state of Florida to find a mobster's runaway girlfriend, what should have been a quick gig turns into a wild odyssey. No, dude, I'm out. Florida Man needs to be <laughs> like like an anthology of 10 stories, and they're just increasingly the craziest shit you ever heard. Like An anthology film? Man robs bank with samurai sword, yeah. I want to be in on this idea, but <laughs> can't feel like I'm the I can't help but feeling like I'm the butt end of this joke. Yeah, that's true. You're welcome. That's the, the mantle you carry, my friend. Okay. Next podcast is going to hit on March 9th. We're bringing back Jay Ledbetter from the In Session Film Podcast. He was here for Dan Hedaya and Holly Hunter. He is joining us for one of these five actors. We've got Evan Jones, Michael Caine, Shirley MacLaine, Michael Sarah, and Denzel Washington. Oh, shit. What do we like from that list? What do we dislike from that list? It's got I mean, come on. Denzel's the crown jewel in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, Denzel might Denzel might have the uh, chance to overtake Leo DiCaprio too. or equally as good career guy that played Cheddar Bob in Eight Mile. Evan Jones. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
Is that Evan Jones? Yeah, I would assume that <laughs> the name I didn't recognize. Yeah. He shot his dick off. People forget. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a hell of a list. That's a great list. And Cheddar Bob. Rigby, what should I know about Shirley McLean? She's in a ton of old classic movies, yeah, The Apartment. Like, yeah. Okay, that's that's her. Got it. Icon. I love The Apartment. Excellent film. The Apartment's great. That's an awesome movie. She, yeah, she's a she's an icon. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's in Can Can too. I mean, there's three like really big ones. Michael Caine, her, and Denzel Washington are like really. Those are really big names. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh, Caine would be wild. Michael Caine. If Michael Caine, James could get his Christopher Nolan fix. Is he in Jaws? Is it Jaws three or four? I can't remember which one. He's in Jaws two or three. Three. He's in Jaws three. Jaws four yeah, is Dennis Quaid, I believe. There was more than one. Oh, Jaws. That's the one. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, are you serious? Oh yeah. Jaws Jaws four is the one that takes place in the water park. Jaws four. They're all, they're all spectacular in their own. I mean, way. I shouldn't be shocked, but I guess the mayor's yeah, the a... same guy in all of them. It shows the importance of having to vote in local elections. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Sorry. So. Jaws 3 takes place in the water park. That's Dennis Quaid. Jaws 4 is Michael Caine. That takes place in the Bahamas. <laughs> You've never seen an actor oh. more on a I did this for the paycheck than Michael Caine in Jaws 4. He, he says it. He calls it the movie that bought his beach house. <laughs> oh, my God. I respect that. Okay. I respect that a ton. I just want to talk like this the whole time. <laughs> Here's what's wild about Denzel. And I actually looked this up the other day and I wanted to confirm it. He's only got 57 film credits. He's got some stage stuff in there too. But Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of like... Leo is the same way though. Yeah, yeah he's kind of like Leo where he, he can take yeah. two years off and make one movie and mm-hmm. still be in the game, you know? Yep. That old school leading man. Oh, I love it. We haven't talked about Michael Sarah. Yeah, I feel like we should shout out Michael Sarah. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I I want to watch it. Love Obviously, it. super bad. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. That's the only movie I'll watch in preparation for Michael Sarah episodes. It's just that over and over again. Scott Pilgrim or Super Bad? Scott Pilgrim. One of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, Scott Pilgrim's an incredible film. Hundred percent agree. Arrested Development. Arrested Development. He's tremendous in Arrested Development. He is. Oh, he's great in that. His cameo in This Is The End, oh, where he's like so off his Nana and just smacks Rihanna. It's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Who took my fucking phone, guys? It's embarrassing. Doesn't he blow coke in someone's face? <laughs> he's <such> yeah. a- <laughs> it's fucking McLovin, the guy, uh, Chris <laughs> Duplass Schmitz or whatever his name is. He says, dude, I never fucking done coke before. He goes, well, you did some good shit for your first time. <laughs> <laughs> he's such an asshole so here's the question Jeff if you had to pick which one would you pick uh, I feel like if you do Denzel you send him straight to the top because he's like one of the greatest hands down right I, I'd have to really go through his filmography again but I don't think he has a bad film like maybe Virtuosity and you could just watch that he to, says it is to, to see yeah. how bad Russell Crowe is early on in his career um I don't know. I think Shirley MacLaine would be fascinating. It'd be a deep dive into a whole heap of films I've probably not seen. I recently watched Sweet Charity, and that was like this weird eye-opener. I don't know. Michael Caine. 
I, I reckon his early gangster stuff in, in the UK would be just really awesome to, to pull apart. So I'd say Michael Caine would be more fun because I just know Denzel would just be a total, like, uh, love fest of everything. Yeah, 100%. We'd be looking for reasons to be like, well, nitpicky. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So here's right. one point off of the 100 I was going to give him. He already has an average-sized penis, so that's going to oh, take yeah. some points yeah. away. Yeah, like, he doesn't yeah. get the little Defoe bump. That's right. Um, all right, who do we think Jay would have picked based on his Hidea Holly Hunter history? I think it's Michael Caine. I think it's Michael Caine. Two very different actors. Got to go Denzel. I hope it's Denzel. I mean, that's what you hope. My, my guess is uh, Michael Caine. Well, we don't decide. Jay doesn't decide. Jeff doesn't decide. Warren decides, and well, I'm, the wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. Jeff, you're wonderful, man. It's it's glad we're so glad to have you back. Yes, you're just eloquent and fun, and I just love hearing your accent. And awesome. the words you say are good too, but your accent is beautiful. So I agree, man. You're you're a great guest. Yeah, this was awesome. This was great. Oh, thanks, God. You're phenomenal, man. This is your plug, so your time to. Plug anything that's going on with your show or wise words for audience. It's your red carpet tours, my friend. First, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an absolute joy to hang out with you guys and, and chill out. What a great Friday night for you guys. Um, yeah, check out from first to last podcast. We, we're talking Tim Burton this season. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a great Michael Mann season. I don't know. I feel like we hit our straps in the Catherine Bigelow season. That's really worth a listen to as well. So, um, And we also re- always revisit their previous films. Check us out. Uh, we're everywhere that podcasts are. Follow me at, at Jeff underscore FFTL. Um, and you can see every movie I watch on there. And I cop a lot of hate for the scores that I give things. So um, the fact that I gave uh, three and a half stars to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory caused a lot of grief for the anti-Johnny Deppers. But that's always a heck of a lot of fun too. So, but yeah, I just love chatting with you guys. How good are movies? Great. Yeah, they're a blast. (laughs) I am one of the people who just got upset about your Charlie and the Chocolate Factory score. Why? Because it's not high enough? <laughs> if only. That's what I think. I think it should be higher. That should be higher. It should only be higher. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, as we wrap things up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on the Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Edgar Ramirez? More balls to time. You lack respect. There was no beauty. But the real question is what are you at? Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? I'd like to welcome all you critics, complainers, disgruntled rappers to the ninth annual international player haters ball. Oh man, hey, 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 hey